All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrap Experience podcast. Hey, Bean Jack, it's been a couple of weeks since we last talked. Yeah, a lot has happened. How you been? <laughs> good, good. It's been a crazy couple of weeks or crazy several months, really. But now I can start to talk about what's going on a little more. So I'm kind of excited about that. I can't totally spill the beans on everything. We will definitely talk about that in the near future. But suffice it to say, need A-B testing is growing quite a bit. So it's gone from just me and a part-time support person to, I guess, including me, a seven-person full-time team, which has been crazy. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. It's a huge change and it's been interesting. Like one thing that's really cool about it is just seeing like all the stuff that I only had time to dedicate a couple hours a week to get like a full-time expert on. And yeah, we've just been seeing like a lot of improvements. It's been really cool. So last week or two weeks ago, the whole team came out to Las Vegas where I live and we just met up for a week and worked and sort of got our plans set up. And now we're just starting to Go with them. It's been really cool. And next week, we've hired five developers that will be all starting next week. So I'm very excited to see like what happens on the product side, all these improvements yeah, I've amazing. wanted to make for years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that must be crazy. Not only sort of the change, I guess, it brings to the day to day, but also this thing that you've started from nothing and have helped to grow up in a sense, get so much attention and love all of a sudden. That part is definitely crazy. Like, it's been a learning experience, definitely, to sort of give up a lot of the control. Like, you don't really think about it, but like, you know, I just had control over every aspect of everything. And now it's like, I don't even know sometimes what's happening. Going from solo developer to having a team is definitely an experience, but it's so cool to see like everyone's so excited. That's kind of a funny thing. I know I've talked about it on here, but like, with all this going on, I've been a little burnt out on everything. So seeing everyone come in so excited has actually been really cool. Yeah, I'm sure it breeds sort of new life into yourself or you get excited about something that's been hard maybe to be excited about for a long time. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. And I'm really excited to give all the dirt soon and give the full story. <laughs> I've been following along on the sidelines and obviously we haven't been able to sort of talk about it too much, but it's been fun to sort of follow along and see the ups and downs. And there's a lot of new people as well, right? So you're the only source of truth, I guess you could say, for all these people coming in. So you're being pulled in every direction, I could imagine, to begin with. Definitely. A lot of my day is just answering questions <laughs> and telling them how I did things before. Because I don't know if you're the same way. I know your team is growing too, but I know everyone says, oh, write standard operating procedures, document everything. I never did any of that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I definitely, I've been the same. Now that my wife is working more as well, she's really good at taking notes and stuff. So she's been writing like operating procedures for all the stuff that she's doing. Also, just so she doesn't have to keep asking the same question or whatever, but point for point, taking screenshots as she's doing each thing. Yeah, it's so good to finally get some things documented, which especially if I got hit by a bus or something, it'd be good just to have written down these type of things. Yeah, I've never been good at doing it myself because it's like yourself. It's just been me for so long that finally once you have other people, it's like, wow, you can actually take the time or have them take the time to do things properly. Yeah, that part is definitely really cool. I know it's crazy like I didn't document so much like I remember at one point when covid was bad I was like, you know, I should probably do something like I wrote some stuff down like hey, if the covid gets me like you need to contact these people, do this, like you know. <laughs> and I realized I was like the single point of failure for the business, which is crazy. Yeah. 
I still haven't done that type of, we're just taking things as we go. Like, how do we pay out people registered in our partner account? I have like a partner program for my apps, right? And then my wife's taking care of that now. So we've got a procedure for that. But that doesn't help much to actually keep the apps turned on sort of thing. But I guess that's the next steps at some point. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we'll get there. And it's actually been cool. Like, so I've been doing a ton of documentation like that. I've got Basecamp going, which I've never used before. And we've been sort of implementing their shape up process to direct the product, which is really cool. Like, I don't know if you've ever worked with that before, but it's basically like a product management type scheme. I've bought the book. It's just behind me, but I haven't read it yet. (laughs) Yeah. I've read some of the sort of online parts of it. I like it in a sense, but when it's not a larger team, I don't think getting too much into process makes sense, but for something like you're working on. Yeah. And that's actually like, that's been one of the really cool things is just being able to delegate a little bit of the responsibility. So even though it didn't happen too often, I was on call 24 7, 365 days a year, basically. Like if the app went down, that was emergency time. Now, like once I get the documentation fully out there, it's not necessarily my problem. And it's been really nice to delegate some of the decision making to people that know more than I do. Like so much of my work before was like researching, you know, if I had an idea for marketing or something like that, I had to learn everything about it. Now we've got a marketing guy that's been doing this for years that he can kind of take care of some of that stuff, which is great. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I'm really enjoying about starting to build up a team as well, is that it's nice to be the one that knows least about certain things instead of having always to, like you're saying, research and try and become an expert in everything. It's just nice that somebody knows how to do these things. <laughs> it is great. And it's cool because there's like, I sort of have this built in network of people to learn from as I build the new projects. Yeah. Yeah. That so definitely it, helps. Because, yeah, that is sort of the one downside of all this is that I've not been able to push Translate CI out the door. I'm so ready to. It's so close. And I feel like I've said that all 11 of our episodes. Yeah. But, now it's kind of a bit more understandable, I think, for people listening along here as to why things are taking a bit longer than maybe they normally would. Yeah. But I think one thing at a time, and especially with such a big change like you're going through, I think it makes sense not to beat yourself up too much about it, at least. Right, for sure. Yeah. And actually, I was just looking at it this morning, kind of taking stock and seeing where everything is. And it's about ready to go. The one thing that when I had talked to people, I think I might have mentioned this on here before, but they weren't too comfortable hooking up the app to their GitHub or whatever. And so I did create a Laravel package that will just transmit the translation strings to me. And that is like 95% of the way there. That's really the last thing to go before I fully launch this. Yeah. That's super cool. And that's, yeah, the way I've seen a lot of the other ones do it. There's also like an open source package for Rails that does something similar, where you run your own little dashboard on top of it and everything. But I've been thinking about your tool over the last couple of weeks because I added more translations to one of my apps. And I've mentioned it before, but the tool I'm using is just stupidly expensive for what it does sort of thing. And not that I don't mind paying for software. I like paying for software. It goes to people like us. But in this case, like the value just doesn't match up with what you're getting from it. And I think Translate CI, as soon as you get a little Rails package built up for it, I'll be a happy customer on that one because I'll be getting more into doing translations and also starting to look at translating the UI of the app as well. So not just like the, how would you say, the end customer facing parts, but also the actual in-app UI, at least planned for the new apps. But yeah, just 
made me think of your app a couple of times when I've been doing these translations, thinking, ah, if I could get this booted up, I'd be a happy man. Yeah, I think sort of my goal, I kind of want to niche it down just a little bit. And basically, I want to make it like the best tool for Shopify developers specifically to launch. And I think that'll be really cool. Yeah, and expand from there. Yeah, is that, I guess, focusing on the technologies mainly that the Shopify app developers use? or? Yeah, from what I can tell, the research I've done, it looks like everyone pretty much uses either Rails, Laravel, or Node React. Like, I think if I got those three, I would cover 90 plus percent of use cases. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. And then you know the community, you have a way of reaching out to them, and you're part of the community. I think it makes sense. It'll be fun. It'll definitely be a cool project. Once I finally, finally release something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fine. I'm sure you've got plenty of other things to focus on. Yeah. What have you been up to? Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. So there's been quite a few different things. But had a week off last week where we, is like Easter over here and the kids get a week off school leading up to it. So yeah, we went, drove across Denmark to the other side and that only takes like four hours or something. <laughs> and then it just reminded me about it when you're talking about how you're always sort of kind of on call. Even though we're away and the support team are super good at taking 99% of all the cases, there's some things that are just addressed to me or related to the partner metrics or something else, right? So I can never fully turn off. It was a nice feeling still to be able to not have to spend as much time as I usually do while I'm away on vacation. But just that feeling of that you never actually turn off is something that's been going on like since I launched the business, I guess you could say. And it's one of those things that I guess it's a trade-off for the freedom it gives you in everyday life, I guess you could say. So running these businesses on your own, you can choose your own hours, you can choose when to work, when not to work, and everything else, but you can never turn it off. And I guess that's the downside to it. And whenever I take holidays, it just reminds me of that. I'm the only one that still has to go, oh, hey, I just need to sit down here for a half hour and check mails. And But yeah, it was nice to get away and it was beautiful weather and it was really nice. And then we drove all the way north and then all the way back. So I guess we drove for like 15 hours or something in total over a week. So, But yeah, so work-wise, we've been getting more into the brand and marketing work that we sort of started and we did the brand guidelines. And now we're honing in on the visuals and doing new logos for all the apps and sort of finding a uniform style between them all. So we want to keep them all so recognizably the same brand, but still differentiate them a little bit. And we'll do that through like colors and things, but also just changing little things like fonts where my website's been really clean and quite minimalistic and lots of caps lock and things like this. So it's been very stylized, but one of our, I guess it's mission or vision or something, but we want to be uh, approachable. So part of one of our values is to be approachable and being minimalist and so cold in a sense. So now we're sort of softening things up a little bit and making them more friendly to look at in a sense. It's all quite cryptic to talk about. But if you looked at the difference between the things, you'd see that we use more color, less capitalization, and more sort of round shapes and forms and things like that. So we've been spending a lot of time doing that. And the whole process is sort of refining what we currently have. So like going over the website quickly to sort of give it the new look and everything, and then doing all the email templates and app logos and things and getting the house in order, I guess you could say. And then we have like a really good base to then expand on additional things from there. So working more on the partner program and getting into like blog articles and all this type of stuff that makes sense once we've formed the base in a sense. Yeah, it's been good fun to do. So that's sort of more on the design and marketing side of things. And then getting into like code and Shopify and stuff, they released, and I can't remember if we talked about this last time, but apologies if we did, but they released App Store Ads Attribution. I think we were like one day before they released it, we were talked about how excited we were. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, right. 
yeah, so I got stuck into that as soon as it came out. And then I watched a really good video series by the product manager at Shopify that handles the App Store ads, or one of the product managers. I'm not sure if there's multiple. But they did a really good video series on YouTube. I'll drop the link in the show notes, but there's like three fairly quick videos, but it really goes into not only how like the Shopify system works, but more into like how to optimize it and what we should be looking for. And I'm no ads expert. So I, I thought it was quite interesting just to see how somebody that has sort of really researched it and looked at all the different ways, how they would structure their account and set up the different ad groups and things like that. Yeah, I'd love to check that out. Highly recommend it. Yeah, and I just took some notes while I was watching those videos and then went back and just applied those to the ads that I was running and splitting them up. And it's been really good to see which ads are actually paying the bills, I guess you could say, but also then splitting those out into ad groups of their own so that they can have their own budget, which means like if one of my ad groups that's making really good return on ad spend asks for more budget because it's say, hey, limited by budget, I'm happy to give that one more. Whereas like a campaign I'm using just to discover sort of which keywords where I've got a ton of different keywords in it, just to find out what works, then that one I may not give it more budget because I'm just sort of using that one to find the words that are working, I guess you could say. That's so smart. Yeah, and it was just a nice way to sort of optimize on the spend to make sure that the ads that are actually giving lots of good customers always have budget. So they're not running out of budget halfway through the day because there's a bunch of keywords that are costing money but not actually generating any sales. So that's been interesting, yeah. My problem with the ads, and it sounds like I could learn a lot from this YouTube series, was like basically I had really good performing ads, but I had a hard time spending the budget and I didn't go after like broad keywords that maybe could have done well for me because I was afraid they would just exhaust the whole budget, which I didn't even think of like doing separate ad campaigns and things. Exactly. That's what I've been doing as well. So I could see one of the broad keywords that I wanted to put in because I've always used exact keywords for that exact reason because you can spend your whole budget on nothing. So just splitting that one out into its own campaign and then you can go into these search terms which then shows you which terms were used when this broad match keyword matched, I guess you could say. So if somebody's typing in, how do I email market or something like this and your broad keyword was on email then obviously continuing to spend on that broadly is not great. But then you take the top performers there. Like if you can see new keywords, hey, I could do an exact match for this particular how to email market or whatever and split that out into a exact match campaign. So you use the broad one to find the exact match that you want to create campaigns for. Like you're saying, it was one of these things that I just didn't think of how to structure it more, both so I could, how would you say, see the reports better and understand what was going on. So it's not all just grouped into one giant campaign, but also, yeah, how to control the budget and then also how to discover new keywords better. Yeah, it's been pretty good. And then I've just sort of set up like a recurring, I've got it two weeks, but I think every month, I think it makes sense to sort of adjust it a bit more just to keep going back and looking at it. And then I've got one campaign, which is more like this giant list of things where discovery is what I've called that campaign. And then going through that one and picking out the ones that are working or saying, hey, this particular keyword works well, I can drop it in a group of its own with a bunch of related keywords. So variations of that keyword in one campaign. But yeah, I've been learning more than I have before. (laughs) And it's nice to see that when I first looked at the customer return, on some of them, they're really high. And then on some, it was like close to zero. And I think, oh, wow, I must be doing a terrible job here. But then I just realized that you have to extend the time frame a lot further than you maybe think. So for like, if you've got a 15-day free trial, then after 30 days, they probably haven't given a positive ROI. 
Yeah, I had noticed that too. Like the first couple of weeks I was checking in every day and be like, why am I at zero? I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> They're not actually paying me yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one thing, and somebody pointed out on Twitter as well, is to keep in mind that the amount shown is before Shopify take their 20% cut. So in reality, you need to have an ROI of at least 125% just to be break even. Interesting. I hadn't realized that, so it's good to know. I don't know what the correct way to do it is, but I think it's worth noting or at least highlighting somewhere. Yeah. One thing we've been doing with the ads, so weird to say we now, but so kind of the goal is to increase like paid acquisition. So not just in Shopify ads, but we're using sort of the keyword learnings there to do search engine marketing, like on Google AdWords and things. And this is like the perfect example of how someone that knows what they're doing is so nice to have. Like I'd always kind of said, like, well, you know, I can't target Shopify, so I'm just going to waste a bunch of money. Google AdWords isn't for me. I never really used them, never tried them. And what this guy pointed out, which is so obvious if you think about it, is just yeah, maybe you can't target Shopify as a keyword, but you can definitely put that this is an app for Shopify and reduce your clicks from non-Shopify people to a point where it's pretty negligible. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that, but it totally makes sense. That makes total sense, yeah. And just add enough negative keywords so you don't target the competition, I guess you could say, in some sense. Not even negative keywords, but like just putting in like the headline of the ad, need A-B testing Shopify app. Like That's going to get rid of a ton of the non-good clicks right there. Ah, uh, right, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. That makes sense. So you display, but you're only paying for the click, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though you can't target Shopify, at least you're not paying for most of the people that aren't actually on Shopify. So we'll see how it goes. I think we just started those, but yeah. That makes sense. Are you doing both search and display? Right now it's just search. I think they're going to get into display in the near future. Yeah. Interesting. I'd be interested to hear how that goes. Obviously not giving away the secret sauce, but I guess the question is, what will the customer acquisition cost be in the end? Just as an example, if you're targeting like A-B testing, I mean, that's like a $15 click or something like that. And you're going to get some false clicks in there from people that aren't on Shopify. So I have to imagine that particular keyword, for example, might not be reasonable to target, but I don't know. I'm sure there's stuff we can do. Yeah, yeah. And I guess going like more long tail keywords, being smart about it. Stuff that I've been learning a ton. That's been super interesting. <laughs> That's cool. It'd be fun to follow along. We've also been building out on AppKit and playing with this new Rails Turbo Frames. I'm not sure if... Yeah, I've been talking about this Hotwire thing, which is similar to Livewire for Laravel and stuff. But continuing on AppKit as well. And I got inspired with some of the new technologies or just to play around with it, like having some time to sort of mess around. With. The cool part about AppKit, it's starting from a blank slate, right? So you can sort of experiment a bit and find the right way to do things because that's how it's going to be done in all apps going forward, I guess you could say. And they've got this cool thing I've just been playing around with today called Turbo Frames, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with like PJAX. Mm, no, I don't think so. No, it's a way to replace only part of the page, but still using server-rendered HTML. So basically, like you click a button and you say, when I click this button, I want this image to change over here. To do that, when you click the button, it would send a get request to the server and it render the entire page. And then when that page comes back, it only swaps out the part of the page that has changed or that you've said, hey, it should be this part of the page. Yeah, maybe not a great example. But the thing that we're going to be using it for, at least trying it out for, was like a data table. So say you have an activity log in your app and that activity log, you have 100 entries. 
Whereas like person installed app, it was this person and it was at this date. And you usually want to add like some pagination to that and you might want to sort it by the date. So the person might want to look at activity logs by oldest to newest or newest to oldest or whatever. And in the past, you sort of had to do that using JavaScript or, you know, to either sort the HTML that's already there or to sort of re-render the page or whatever. But these turbo frames, you wrap the part of the page that you want to update. And like I just explained, so it's super easy. Say you have the data table there, and then just you wrap it in an element called a turbo frame, and you give it an ID. And then any click inside that frame element, it's not an iframe or anything, but you could sort of conceptually think of it in the same way. And then if you click a link inside that, what it will do is call back to the same page with the new parameters or whatever, and then swap out only the part that matches the frame that it's in. So to sort this activity log, you just add like a link to the date header. So if you want to sort on the date header. And when you click on that, all it's doing is sending off an Ajax request and then replacing the entire table below. And so you're just using the server to do the sorting. And there's no JavaScript that you need to write at all. It just automatically works by wrapping it in this turbo frame thing. So it does it all automatically for you, which is like a huge time saver. You don't have to write any JavaScript. And then adding things like pagination is just a matter of adding some buttons at the bottom saying next page. And all it does is points to the same page, but with page two, for example, on the query string. And then it happens really quick because it doesn't have to do anything except for replace that part of the page. So it doesn't have to re-download all the CSS or anything else. It's just super quick. That sounds awesome. I love that things seem to be tending more towards server side again in the last couple of years, just because I'm so much more comfortable there than in JavaScript. I love that there's been all these new frameworks and things like that to help with that. Yeah, I read an interesting article not too long ago, but it was something about like how the pendulum's swinging back towards server-side rendering again. People have gone crazy for JavaScript and maybe overdone it, and now it's sort of swinging back towards server-side. But I think we're lucky in that we're getting sort of the best of parts to make interactive UIs much easier for server-rendered apps as well. Which also brings me on to JavaScript in the Shopify world, where I received an email last week, or recently anyway, saying that they're deprecating the old EA SDK, the embedded app SDK. Oh, no. Yeah, and they're asking everybody to upgrade to the latest AppBridge 2.0, which is the JWT-based authorization and everything. The deadline is 1st of January 2022. So we have the rest of the year to do it. I missed that email, but it looks like I have something to add to Basecamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you embedded into the, you are embedded. I am, yeah. Yeah. Mm. We've actually been talking about making it non-embedded. I think that kind of makes sense for this app. Yeah, that was going to be my question as well, because I feel like everyone I'm talking to at the moment is like, well, it's not really worth it anymore. And the JWT solution, yeah, it works, but like you have to jump through so many hoops to make it work on your side. And it just feels very brittle, at least the Rails way of doing it using Turbolinks and stuff. Yeah, and I'm sure it's the same with Laravel. And in fact, like that's one thing I never fully solved like with all these third-party cookie issues. My app still doesn't work great in Safari. And thankfully, Shopify recommends using Chrome and most people are on Chrome, so it's not that big a deal, but it does pop up occasionally. Like it awesome to just be able to get rid of that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the reason that they are sort of deprecating it and forcing everybody over to the new way because only being available. And I guess the big thing is on iOS, a lot of people are using these apps. And if you are rendered inside a web view or if you pop out into Safari, you have the same issues, right? 
Yeah, and there you can't change the default browsing app that gets launched from within other apps. So if you click an external link inside an app, it's always going to open Safari. You can't change it to Chrome, for example, even if you've got Chrome app installed on your iPhone. So I think that's ruining the experience for a lot of people, I think. And I guess it makes sense that they deprecate it. It just means lots of work. I've got three apps embedded. Are you thinking about moving them to non-embedded or switching to the new AppBridge? I'd be non-embedded. This app kit that I'm building is non-embedded. So my plan is then to finish building this first app in AppKit and then migrating all the existing apps into AppKit as well. So it'll be sort of the rest of the year, I guess. It'd be a good opportunity to sort of clean up and make things simpler in a sense. It also feels like wasted work in a sense because it doesn't generate more revenue or anything. But I think in the sense that a lot of people can't log into the app, I'd hate to know how many people have given up trying to log into the app because of these issues. So it has cost money over time. So I guess it is time well spent. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely heard from not too often, maybe once a month, I get someone on Safari or something saying, hey, I can't open the app, what's going on? Which if there's one email, it's probably 20 people that encountered it and said, yeah, I mean, it is a pain, but I'll bet it does directly translate to revenue. So we'll see. Yeah, I think so. And it's hard to put a number on it, but I think the longer you leave it and the more these browsers shut down different ways of doing things, it's going to get harder and harder. And only being able to say, oh, well, it only works in Chrome isn't the best experience, I don't think. I've got the rest of the year cut out for me, I think, then. so. <laughs> but it's been something I've wanted to do because you know some of the apps, most of them are on Rails 5. One of them is on Rails 4 still. So it really could use an upgrade to the latest sort of stack and the experience would get better as well, I think, by redoing it in the newer sort of ways and also just rethinking some of the screens. But I think I have to be careful not to change too much at the same time because you don't want to sort of ruin an app that people love by changing it completely just for the sake of it, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I was actually playing with an app this week that was a non-embedded app, but they made it look so much like the Shopify admin. They just kind of replaced all the elements with their Things that like I didn't even realize I was out of the Shopify admin at first. I felt like that was like perfect. They just had a little back to Shopify button on the upper left. Yeah, it's actually based off Shopify's own Polaris. They had a frame component in the last version. I think they've removed it for the new. And that's actually exact same thing we're doing. Is it'll behave a lot like being in the Shopify admin itself. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Like the left navigation and the top bar and everything all feels the same. And we're using sort of Polaris styling as well. So I think it'll be a similar user experience anyway. You know, we had kind of an interesting app update about two weeks ago, actually. We're experimenting with raising prices. That's been very interesting. What's the plan? <laughs> yeah, so I guess one thing we learned was that sort of our biggest users, people that enjoy the app the most, tend to be in that like $1 to $10 million revenue range. And they were on this, our top plan was $99. And basically we were sort of like, man, these guys, like someone that's optimizing their shop well is generating thousands of dollars in extra revenue a month. And I think there's probably just a little bit of room there. So we raised the top tier plan to 149 from 99. And then the second tier plan from 79 to 99. I guess we'll see what happens. We're going to let it run for 30 days, but so far it doesn't seem to have any impact on the installs at least. Yeah, that's always the interesting part, right? As a one-person team, I think you maybe don't put the price on it that it's maybe worth sometimes because you feel, oh, well, I'm just one guy. I don't need... (laughs) We do ourselves a disservice in a sense. Yeah, that does make sense, especially if they're these larger companies. What's the lower price tier then? 
So this is still the same. Yeah, $29 is the lowest price tier. And we're keeping that the same. There's been a little talk about lowering that. I don't know if we'll actually do it, but I mean, I think that could be interesting. Yeah, so you could have like an entry tier to get people. The more users you have, the more reviews you get as well, right? So there's a payoff there, in a sense. Definitely. Yeah, and I know we've talked about that before, but that's kind of why I love that either starting free or like a freemium type plan, which I've never done. It seems too much work to me, but I think if you can make it work on Shopify, this is probably such a smart idea. Yeah, I think it really depends on the type of app you're running and how much support it requires. I remember us talking about as well that your app's also quite a, how do you say, an advanced tool in a sense. It does require some knowledge to use well and properly, I guess. So yeah, but if you've got a larger team now, then maybe those are the type of things that you can do that you wouldn't have been able to do before yourself. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't think I would have, like if I had any kind of free tier before, I don't think I would have been able to keep up with the support at all. No, exactly. And then it doesn't make sense, right? Then I think you need to have sort of a gate that at least minimum qualifies people to giving you money for your support. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that might be a good place to end it this week. Yeah, it's been exciting to follow along and I'm happy that you've been able to sort of break the news on growing the team and everything else. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it more. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, we'll talk again next week and enjoy. Awesome, see you then.